1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Today's subject, Millennials and Gen Z. Now, if you haven't heard the headlines lately, Millennials are going to make up 75% of the workforce by 2025. And by the way, Millennials are just now hitting middle age, I heard in the headline news today. (laughs) Generation Z is right behind them. And the differences in perspectives between the four generations that are now in the workforce can be, to say the least, frustrating at times. So today we wanna to talk about what do you need to know about Gen Z and millennials. We wanna talk about what you can do as a leader to truly develop that next generation. And if you're a young talent, what do you need to know about the other generations in order to get them on your side, backing you, supporting you, and helping you grow? My guest today is Tammy Dowley blackman She's a graduate of Oberlin College and Harvard University, and she's an author, entrepreneur, leadership expert, nonprofit executive, philanthropic leader, and professor. As if there's not one thing that keeps her going, she has a new fourth coming book called "Looking Forward: Finding Your Leadership Path." Now, Tammy is CEO of her own company, Tammy Dowley Blackman Group LLC. And the company is comprised of a suite of brands with a long legacy of doing a variety of things, all of which involve embedding diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, and belonging into the values, the collaborations, and the outcomes of our clients. Um, Tammy just completed her six-year term as the president of TSNE Board of Directors, where she's helped lead the $64 million organization through an unprecedented leadership change and strategic uh, business model realignment. And she also provides leadership as an advisory board member for the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum and was recently elected as a member of the Board of Directors of the Proteus Fund. To say the least, Tammy has an awful lot going on. So, Tammy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so very much. A pleasure to be here with you. It's delightful to have you. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I can't tell you how many times the subject of the next generation opens among my clients. (laughs) with much frustration. So I think we're all keen to hear what you've got to say about this one. So let me start at the top. What's the problem that you are seeing with Generation Z
2: that you think we all need to address? So we come at this in two ways. We actually don't necessarily see Gen Z as our our market per se, but rather those who are hiring them and those who are educating them. Because if they can get it right, then it makes it so that Gen Z understands what it means to enter the workforce and how to do that in a way that is authentic for them, but also can be Uh, a real opportunity to advance their careers. So we see this as more about uh, the issue for those hiring uh, and those who have educated them. And then Gen Z is trying to respond. Yes.
1: Got it. All right. So what are the kind of problems you are seeing? I mean, I gave my Mm -hmm. take on the set of problems, but Mm -hmm. what are the problems you're seeing from the organizations that are hiring Gen
2: Z? So we see that sometimes managers who are amazing and have great expertise are simply conflating the generations and thinking that Gen Z are millennials. And you just said it wonderfully that millennials, so many of them, uh, those who are older, are hitting middle age. So that is not the same. Those who are now in their 40s are not going to be the same as our Gen Zers, which is you know defined as those born between 1995 and, and roughly 2012. So we're talking about those who are about 27 or 8 at the top of it and those who are uh, really young and still teenagers. And that's a big difference than being someone who's in their, their early 40s and already has some experience uh, and particularly very different for those who are entering the workforce now during, during COVID. So we see that as a, as a major issue, that we don't conflate the generations. And we also see it as a major issue to think about what professional development has looked like, and even professional experience before professional development, that you've got a generation, the first in five generations, five decades, that comes to the workforce with little to no work experience is a big a big part of the problem. Yeah. When you say little to no work experience, explain that phenomena for us. Sure. We think about, uh, for many of us, we have children, nieces, nephews, friends who have children who are in that, as I said, Gen Z, roughly born between 1995 and 2012. And we've seen that their lives are far more highly choreographed than our uh, millennials or our lives. When we entered the workforce, many of us had worked at our local bodega corner store. We had a paper route. We may have worked at the local retail store. Uh, But for many Gen Zers, they are actually not getting much in the way of work experience because they've been told that they've got to stay so busy. So they've been really uh, trying to get the test right. They've been trying to learn to get the SATs right. Now, certainly, as we know, COVID has now taken that off the board a bit, that not every school is asking for the ACTs and the SATs. But still, we've had a generation that really had that mindset. Their parents had that mindset. Uh, They were really overbooked with a lot of activities. Uh, sports and the arts, things that make them amazing, talented people. But again, just not a lot of time to interface and do a regular job and and work with people of different ages and learn about customer experience and learn about professionalism. Uh, And you add on the the beauty of technology, which many of them are just native to. Uh, They are the most technologically advanced generation. But what that means is life doesn't exist in 140 characters. And you have many of them who actually have, again, not had to apply for for a job uh, to actually think about how they present themselves or shake hands. And so it can be a bit difficult.
1: That's an interesting thing. All right. So before we get too hard on this generation, I might remind everybody that the parents who are complaining are the parents That's of right. the Gen Zers right. and the parents of the millennials. And in some ways, we have trained them mm-hmm. how to treat us as adults and other adults, as well as what they should be doing, spending their time. And if I think about all the Gen Zers, I know, again, 28 and 28 years old and down, just entering the workplace, you're right. They have been focused much of their lives around what it takes to excel at school and at college and at college applications. And that includes, you know, five different extracurriculars and mm-hmm. Uh, A charitable activity that is ongoing and sustained and high grades and high SATs, at Mm -hmm. least in the US SATs. So yeah, highly choreographed, without doubt. They haven't had the freedom to roam around either because we don't allow that anymore. Mm -hmm. So is your conclusion, Tammy, that they don't
2: know how to enter the work
1: world or that it's just
2: its diff- It's difficult for many of them. Um, one of the things I also remind those who are again educating them and, and hiring them though, is that we have a generation that is the most diverse. So they are open to experiences, new people, perspectives, cultural understanding, which is an incredible gift they bring to the workforce. Again, as I mentioned, they're the most technologically savvy. So things that might be harder for other generations to wrap their heads around just feels second nature to them. And they can really do that. And they bring that as a real gift and skill uh, to the workforce. So, again, there's some difficulties, but there are these distinct differences. There are also pluses that they bring to the workforce. They are one of the most collaborative Generations, because they're used to working in groups, they're used to thinking about uh, how we solve problems uh, with a greater understanding of of impact, intention, and impact. So these are great skills that they bring to the workforce, and I really appreciate this about Gen Z. I'm the mom of a Gen Zer, and and even before I started this company, I was thinking about Gen Zers from age five. I was just fascinated by already they presented very differently my daughter's now 21 and i really thought they're going to bring something really different to us and teach us to do our work in a different way i didn't quite know what that was but i just had a sense of that and so those things are important and i work with our again those who are educating them and those that are managing and hiring and managing them to remind them of these great skills they bring to the workforce that may not have been present prior
1: there's um Someone else has argued that we have parented the generations very differently, Mm -hmm. that if you look at my parents and perhaps how I parented, so baby boomers, we were largely expected to do what we were told. And Mm -hmm. you might have gotten away with it sort of a little bit, but you kind of largely at least pretended very strongly that you were doing what you were told. we could debate about our youth as baby boomers and whether we really did conform or not. But I think that's going to has formed us as a generation. Mm-hmm. If you go to Gen X, they were parented as a way of saying, yes, you got to make it look more like you're doing what you're told, but they had more freedom because it was it were the first latchkey kids who would sort of come home. And so it was a set of, here's what we kind of expect of you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then as we come to millennials and Gen Zers, we have more partnered with them mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. asked what they're thinking n- negotiated with them i think than we have in prior generations at least that's the argument i've heard now do you agree with that argument or do you think it's different than that
2: and i do agree with it i think about my my own you know family lineal heritage and uh, heritage and think about uh, just what as you've described it, uh, that I am a Gen Xer and I was a latchkey kid and really was having to manage the world, traverse the world uh, a lot by myself and doing this without a cell phone, being on a bike and having to come home and having to uh, to to prepare my meals or warm up my meals that my mother, who was a nurse's assistant, had prepared for me before she went to work. Those things were expected. Here's what I need you to do. Here's how I need you to step up and be responsible. But a lot of autonomy and and a need for that to make our lives work. You're right. Then I have a a Gen Zer. I have a daughter. I just have the one and really has been a conversation. My husband is interesting in that he grew up three generations to a household. So he got to see the whole bandwidth of that and was really clear about the things he liked to bring forward from each of those generations as we were raising our daughter and so it is a it's a difference and and what i also try to remind there's no good or bad here in a lot of this and there's no blame or fault in a great deal of this it's just really understanding these differences these distinctions and also thinking about what things again positively we can move forward On the other side, as much as I spend time with those who are educating and those who are hiring and managing Gen Zers and trying to help them think through what are all the elements that are both, again, critically important or wonderful about what this Gen Z brings to the workforce, I also remind them that the narrative, some of those narratives that they've created of their own personal narrative, there's lots of accuracy to that. But also I have to remind them that some of what they think they did by themselves or some of what they tout as was most important, that really when they stop and think about it, they wish they could have had some of these freedoms. They wish they could have had some of these ways in which we've been parented differently. And so when you get them to step back, they say, gosh, I wish it hadn't been as hard. I wish I didn't have to pull myself up by the proverbial bootstraps. And so why am I being so hard on this generation and somehow they're slacking when that's not the case at all? They just got a different experience. On the other side, having to say to the Gen Zers, you need to leave room for experience and be respectful of that. And certainly the way in which you ask questions doesn't have to be a challenge or doesn't have to be dismissive, but you truly can ask great questions because you do have some other experiences that you bring to the table. And there's a middle ground for both of these perspectives. So it's it's on both sides of this.
1: Well, and I think that's a whole message that you would like to convey, and I certainly would like to convey, is that Mm -hmm. neither side is right or wrong. Neither Mm -hmm. side has the lock on truth. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of understanding where the other side is coming from and then finding ways of meeting somewhere in the middle. And Mm -hmm. fair, both of them do it. All right. So as you think about Gen Z entering the workforce, what are the things we need? So you've said already they're more diverse, they're more mm-hmm. collaborative than prior generations. They're more focused on intention and impact, all of which are great skills. They're digital natives; they've never known a world where it wasn't digital. And I'm going to add more interest in social justice. Mm-hmm. So, if you think about um, mm-hmm. the diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, uh, belonging, that is just sort of their mantra. They haven't, mm-hmm. I can't imagine where that's not the case. And much more concerned about the client climate than I think Mm -hmm. we've seen, even Mm -hmm. from millennials anywhere along the line. So wonderful skills and more we could talk about. What is it that they need to understand? I mean, what is it we Mm -hmm. need to work with them on in coming into the workplace?
2: So you are right about, uh, I'd say to some of those who are hiring managers, I remind them that literally, if you're not talking about or have a perspective on Uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, belonging, if you don't have a perspective on climate change or social responsibility or corporate responsibility, that it literally feels like a door is shut for many of our Gen Zers, not all. There's no monolithic community, but this is a a perspective that many bring to the workforce. And so really, we've actually sort of had our conversations. We've come into it in in a very different way, not just what work they need to do, the actual work of that organization, that company, that institution that's critically important. So if you've come there to be an engineer, you've come there to be an ad account executive, you've come there to be an attorney, whatever it is, there's the work that has to be done. But we've also talked about it from this this more holistic and, and bigger experience of uh, what are some of their benefits? And so, for example, you think about, again, where we were in our careers, the idea of executive coaching may have come up much later. You're considered to be a seasoned, you're you're a mid-level to C-suite manager at this point. You've got some years of, of experience, and that's an assumption that that's a perk now. We've actually advanced the idea that executive coaching needs to come earlier in the career. And so we do a lot of work around what's that career trajectory? What are we actually offering uh, for these young folks? There's a LinkedIn uh, survey that tells us that 77% of Gen Zers they interviewed said that they were open and wanted uh, new learning experiences and opportunities for learning. Uh, That is phenomenal. People are saying, I'm open, I don't come in here knowing everything, I'm not presumptuous that I know everything, and please give me that opportunity. So executive coaching is something that we've advanced much earlier, and thankfully many of the teams we work with, those CEOs, senior management team members are saying yes to that. The other thing that we've advanced is actually what professional development looks like. It is no more just send me to a conference, but it is actually we've advanced the thinking around we can do this as module thinking, we can do this as residencies. And again, don't just put me in front of a computer and ask me to do uh, the harassment training or the DEI training over a 30-minute online module. And I'm not knocking those. They're incredibly helpful and important because we've got all kinds of learners. Some people learn better like being on a computer, doing it visually, some in a conference conversation. So those things are important. It's a it's a tool, but not the only tool. And so many of those we work with now are saying, how do we build in something where there's continual learning edge here? and can do it in a way that also uh, is something else that we've built in that as a model, as part of our work around learning cohorts. And we can do this with many of them, not just individual. And it goes back to, again, something that Gen Z finds very important is collaboration. So that's some of the ways in which we've tried to help advance this this conversation about what they need. Many of them come in solid on the knowledge. It's now, how do I build my skill sets of actually being in this professional environment? And how do I get early on some opportunities Opportunities to think about my career trajectory.
1: Okay. All right. Um, I, yeah, that makes sense to me. Let's, I want to test one of these this Mm -hmm. notion that we should do executive coaching earlier. Mm -hmm. Probably that means we need to drop the word executive and stop Mm -hmm. pretending that it is only for the elite echelon somewhere at the Mm -hmm. top of the organization. Why
2: do you say they need coaching earlier? Everything from literally how do I show up in a space? Uh, We've had some where we've been asked to come and talk with Gen Zers because they didn't know how to speak up. Uh, if they heard something they didn't understand or something that felt it was inappropriate, uh, we worked with a company that uh, needed to be on site on construction sites. And they were really concerned that their students, uh, who were recent students, they were recent college graduates, new to the workforce, were feeling very uncomfortable about how to navigate physically, emotionally, professionally, how to navigate that kind of space with people who are much older, uh, what what was appropriate, how do I say something, who do I report if I hear something, I don't have to go front and center to maybe the person who's on this construction site, but how do I say something, who do I go to, instead of letting it just fester or assume that this is okay, things like that. We have also know that it helps them in terms of thinking about Again, because as I mentioned, we've got so many of our teams that are still remote and so that they're not going back to an office. So it's how do I show up in a space when it's not a literal space anymore? And so how do I prepare for, understand how to uh, to to give my supervisor what they need? How do I manage up? How do I manage across? How do I best understand what my scope of work is? How do I ask questions? What is HR? Okay, I, I use HR to you know, get my benefits and, and sign my initial paperwork. Oh, but I didn't know HR could actually help answer some questions for me about my you know, financial planning, point me in to look at my resources that the company has available. Or I didn't know HR actually could speak privately with me if I didn't know how to manage something that uh, my supervisor asked me to do. And I wanted to get it done well, but I was afraid to ask a question. So we're trying to help them think about what's their day-to-day experience, uh, what is their overall, again, what could be their career trajectory, but also how to manage sometimes things that are uncomfortable that they just don't have any prior experience with, part of it just being new to the workforce. Right. And uh,
1: in, in an ideal world, I presume we'd have the managers doing some of this coaching, yeah. but I mm-hmm. think in a real world, mm-hmm. those managers are overloaded themselves and mm-hmm. not necessarily the best of coaches. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming you would say it's much better to have a cohort experience here where they're doing it together and they're not feeling singled
2: out. Yes, but also making space for if they did have something that they need to individualize uh, experience or question, there's still space for that. On on the other side, though, I want to say about the managers, what they've asked us around the coaching for them is, Again, help me just to understand these different generations, help me to understand my experience, why my experience doesn't uh, uh, supersede everything they're telling me. Why can't they just do it the way I learned it? Uh, I don't even know all of our HR resources. So how do I point them in the right direction? So sometimes it's just educating our managers about what's available and helping them to think through what those tools might be useful for and when, not just for Gen Zers, for all of their team members. And so again, we're we're doing the work on both sides of it, trying to find that middle ground where they can work really well together. Uh, but sometimes it is as much the education of the managers as it is trying to help the Gen Zers too.
1: I can understand that one. All right. So what do you say to a manager when they say, what is it with this younger generation? And why can't they just do it the way we were taught to do it or some version of that?
2: Well, real case studies here, we've we've had it. We've had managers who said, I am angry. I'm angry because it feels like they're getting over, they're getting better treatment, they're fragile. Uh, we've had managers who said, I really want to do the right thing. I, I I like this group of of new team members. They're young, they're they're energetic and they're fun, but I'm just really at a loss and don't wanna let them down. And and really want to know what I should do or what I could point them to. We've even had a millennials who are now again on the older side trying to manage Gen Zers, and so this is not you know huge age differences sometimes, but a very different experience. Saying I don't want to feel put on the spot or I don't want to be made fun of because it feels like they they're just again their lives are so different, and there has been a little bit of uh, poking between Gen Z and, and and millennials. So again, it runs the gamut of who's asking those questions and how they're asking those questions. Some of those questions are asked in incredibly positive, nurturing ways, uh, supportive ways, and others are not so positive. And we have to, again, uh, meet people where they are and to help them think through it. But when we get that, I'm mad and I'm angry and, and why do they think they are entitled? We hear that word a lot. Mm-hmm. We remind them that probably every generation has experienced whereas the generation before them thought they were a bit entitled and full of themselves. And how did it get managed? Or what did we hope that someone of would have shown us, uh, in terms of, uh, some grace and, and allowed us to be able to, to find our way? And that is something that I think lots of people can identify with and, and, and done privately. So they're not put on the spot. And that's, again, why the, the, the coaching for the managers, managers is just as important, for management teams is just as important. They also ask us for resources, so tools. Uh, this sometimes is not just the one-on-one conversations, but it's actual tools. I'll give you another case example. We were asked for by a corporation to help. In this instance, it was very specifically that they were concerned that their team members of color, who were mostly Gen Z and millennial, were actually getting the short end of the stick around performance review. Because their managers were overwhelmingly over 50 and white, and these managers said, we're not doing justice and we don't know what to do, and we feel like that their performance reviews are not turning out well, biased, and it is it is impeding their opportunities for growth. And so asked us to come in to first suss out where we saw the difficulties, where we saw there were the gaps, and then to really help prep for that performance review for those team members. And that was just, that's a great tool that was saying, I don't know how to do it. I'm not trying to be awful, but I know there's probably a different way to do this. Can you help us understand first what's happening and then help us to challenge our beliefs and create new tools around it? And this was specific to performance review.
1: Great. Wherever that shows up. Um, I would remind everybody listening to that who's a Gen Xer that I heard the exact same thing about you when you were first entering the workforce. Mm -hmm. And as you became managers, I heard the exact thing you were saying about millennials as they were entering the workforce. Mm -hmm. And now millennials, I'm hearing the same thing. So I think this is a bit of youth though the numbers of young people entering the workforce, the numbers of millennials that entered kind of overwhelmed us at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And Gen Z is going to be some of the same way. And the differences in preparation mm-hmm. for a Gen Z, I think is, is unusual.
2: In ways of well-prepared, as you've described, in other ways, they're not at all well-prepared. Exactly, exactly. And it is important, again, for us to all keep remembering this, but I just keep going back to these incredible gifts that they bring to the workforce that we've actually never had in prior generations. Again, the technology, uh, that they're most diverse, most collaborative. I, I keep looking at the assets versus the liabilities.
1: I think you have to keep that in balance because Mm -hmm. I think always working with somebody who thinks they can do more than they are actually prepared to do as Uh you see it Mm -hmm. is frustrating. And then you don't want to undercut that. And yet you want to give them some opportunity, Mm -hmm. some reasonable protection as well. Mm -hmm. All right. So you said there are three things we need to do as managers and as hiring organizations. One is think about providing coaching to the younger Mm -hmm. generation earlier I I want to underscore that one, partly because I see that the younger generation is dealing with very complicated problems. Mm -hmm. It's not like the old first-level manager training where all you had to deal with was just giving feedback and signing off on performance reviews. I'm underselling that one for sure. Mm -hmm. But the performance issues are complicated. The Mm -hmm. conversations with peers across the organization, the collaborations with people who are very different ages, very different perspectives are hard. for everybody. And it's no less so for the younger too. So Mm -hmm. I think coaching could be really useful there. I'd agree with that. The second thing you said, though, is that we need to look at more bite-sized learning Mm -hmm. as opposed to think about going off to a conference or going off to a multi-day offsite. Mm -hmm. Now, I think we'd all be better off with bite-sized learning, but Mm -hmm. I'm interested in why you say this is so important for Gen Z.
2: So Gen Z, again, it goes back to technology and it goes back to how they work. And, and I'll come at it from, again, this, this asset perspective, uh, but also to your point about balancing. Uh, That the balance is, it also allows them to stay front and center in the work. And particularly given that we've all now got so many different variations on the workplace, some fully remote, some hybrid. And so being able to stay there to learn as many ways as you can, given that it's not in the traditional way that you could really get a lot of things just by watching people, you may not very well have those as many of those opportunities. So not taking you fully away but also because we do have the technology now and people really have grasped how to use it since COVID, there also it just saves you the costs of being of having to send and go far away and allows you to invest that in very different ways to give more opportunities for learning by virtue of doing cohort learning, doing it virtual and some things still in person. But there are just these more these varieties. But also the research tells us that this is the way that Gen Z learns best. That and again, part of this is because of technology advances and the way in which they are used to getting information, uh, that it is by doing it in these smaller bites, it allows for people of all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of learning styles to grasp more, uh, to really dig in on those things they're more interested in, to be able to ask questions, but be able to sort of dip in and dip out and then dip back in again. And so we're finding a lot of success with the kind of Uh, Small bite courses, uh, the opportunities to touch base uh, in ways that people can again do one part of it, come back much later for a part two or part three, but it's not these five hours of having to do it. We're also, to your point, though, Wanda, we're finding that our our others are, are welcoming this as well. We now have board meetings, we now have big client meetings that are now spread out in much smaller parts and phases that everyone just feels like to take in the information is a lot easier in smaller bites given everything they have going on.
1: There's a very old study in psychology of an ed, ed- psych, so 1960s, maybe 1970s, early 1970s, that said the best way to learn and to retain information is spaced practice. hmm mm-hmm. So, the notion that I get it now, i get a bite of it now, and then I'm mm-hmm. going to practice it again in two days and in two days more and in two days mm-hmm. more. And that spacing of practice and, again, the bite-sizing of it is the best way to learn as adults, period. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think there's – I think we're going to find more opportunities for this. That's going to be really good for all of us. Um, I want to come to the third point you made, which is they're more collaborative so they do better in cohorts. Mm-hmm. So explain how do I do cohort learning when I'm not bringing
2: everybody face to face? So again, people have grasped how to use virtual, and we have had great experience with it, and not just with Gen Z. We now use it for a whole host of projects that we're working on, both internal to a client, corporate, government, nonprofit, or philanthropic, but we're also being asked to do it across industries, and so there are people who've never met, and they love that. But again, that may not have all of the opportunities to go to very expensive conferences and, and, and expensive travel across the country, and now can meet colleagues from all over the country, all over the world, by being screen together and so it's fostering uh, additional kinds of collaboration in that way. But for Gen Z, so much of their opportunities had been uh, group learning, which I think of all the things that we talked about that may have been a bit not so helpful around you know teaching to the tests and and having to be so highly choreographed in your lives. This was one of the things that actually has been a wonderful byproduct of of a different kind of learning space. and and it is that there was much more opportunity uh, to do pure learning. to do processing with your peers, writing essays, your each, uh, checking your each other's essay, asking questions, being peer editors. Uh, uh, being able to do projects big and small together, some groups staying together uh, in an English class or a science class for that entire semester. These are things that I think in my own, I wish, gosh, when secondary school had been more of what my own experience, I would have loved it instead of having to to do be a solo learner. What we also know is that because it, it we had so many solo learners, more of those people were really good at rote learning. And some of the ways in which Gen Zers are, they've become much better analytical learners in some ways because of that collaborative experience. Right.
1: Well, there's so many other benefits to, I find, from the collaborative learning. One is, you know, if you go back to that sense of purpose and meaning, which I think matters so much to Gen Z and to Mm -hmm. millennials in a new way, you know, Aaron Hurst says it's virtually impossible to have any sense of purpose if you're not doing that in the context of Mm -hmm. relationships. And your cohort learning is a way of people sharing common experiences and saying, geez, it's not so weird with me or my manager is not a, a crazy person. It's everybody's experience. Oh, this is the way it is. I think there's just a level setting there. That's just really a good mm-hmm.
2: thing. Mm-hmm. Generation. Yeah, I agree. All
1: right, Tammy, perfect time to take a break. Um, if I try to summarize this segment, I'm going to say If you drop your narrative about whatever you want to say on Gen Z, which has been our focus primarily, drop the entitled, drop the unprepared, drop the all the negative narratives, and tune in to some wonderful qualities about this generation: the digital natives, the um, more collaborative, the deep caring about the social issues, the climate change, the. Social responsibility, the diversity, equity, inclusion, kind of all of those are a part of it, an intense desire to learn. And believe it or not, you haven't talked about this, but the data says they're just as eager for feedback as any other generation That's has right. ever been. That's right. So it's that we probably need to think differently, though, about how to engage them. And what I love about your framework, is that we're going to take some of the tools we've always had, and we're going to reframe them for a way that's going to suit this generation and be economical for the organization. So Mm -hmm. thinking about ways to provide coaching very early in the career so they can get their individual questions answered. Maybe we do that as a small peer cohort coaching, or maybe we do it individually To think about bite-sized learning so that it's more of a drip feed formula. It's coming out over time. People can dip in and dip out of it. And to think about intentional cohorts that are collaborating together and sharing experiences with each other and helping each other learn. I think those are three fabulous ways to think about this generation and how to develop this generation. So my guest is Tammy Dolly Blackman. Um, She is many, many, many things um but there's a forthcoming book called Learn, looking forward finding your leadership path. When we come back from the break, I want to shift to millennials and talk for just a little bit about what's different between the Gen Z and the millennials and what we need to think about in terms of millennials. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us.
0: If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum helping organizations get it and keep it.
1: This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at one 472 5790 again that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com now back to out of the comfort zone
1: Welcome back to the show. With me today is Tammy Dowley Blackman. If you'd like to know more about what Tammy does, her company is Tam- Tammy Dowley Blackman Group LLC. There's a whole suite of brands and a whole lot of activity involved around how do you embed diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, and belonging into everything that you're doing the values, the collaborations, the outcomes, the training the coaching, the across the suite and use that as a way to make a real difference in your company. Tammy, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how should they reach out to you?
2: Oh, the website is the best. And you can just get to me at Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y, B as in David, B as in boy.com. And that's uh, got a contact sheet there. And we welcome the opportunity to connect. There's also info at T-D-B group.com. Okay, great. tdbgroup.com. That's
1: a hard one to say too many times back to back. (laughs) We've talked a lot about Gen Z. We've talked about differences in the parenting style for Gen Z. We've talked about differences in their lives as they're coming into the workforce. We've talked about the fact that they have had relatively little work experience now entering their professional lives, that their lives have been incredibly choreographed, but that they bring with that some wonderful gifts, their digital Components, their collaborative components, their deep care about the broader society and social issues, um, and their, you know, well, a lot of qualities that have just been fantastic. Collaboration, I think I said already. I want to shift the tide for a minute and talk about millennials. Mm-hmm. So, millennials, and people have talked about millennials as really it's two generations kind of merged under one. Mm-hmm. So, they're the older millennials that are just now hitting middle age, and then they're the younger millennials up to about age 29, that may be having slightly different experiences. I think that debate is still out. But if you were going to characterize the millennial
2: generation, what would you say about them? So I would say uh, just a quick thing that I also think we're going to see this about Gen Z as well, uh, that those who are a little older, they actually are split between that some of them have been fully digital and others only part. Uh, because it came a little bit later for them. So I think we'll begin to see some of that in the research pointed out as those who are on the younger side, born closer to 2012, start to get older. As for the millennials, I think that uh, when we really started this, when I started this company and we started this work, it's interesting, even though I knew it would be about Gen Z, uh, Looking Forward Lab would be about Gen Z, it actually got its start uh, based on millennials. And one of the quick, quick case study is I got a call from from a, a client, wonderful client uh, in Boston, an organization uh, that was doing great work, had hired a wide range of people uh, who were working in the office. This is pre-COVID, so it was a full-time team in the office. And the CEO called me and said, I just am concerned that we've got some things going on that I'm not quite sure. She said, I, I think I'm going to label it as around diversity, equity, inclusion, but I'm not quite sure. And so we go in and and do work to be able to assess it and quickly realize that certainly you could have put it under the 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 uh, the title of or the the container of diversity equity inclusion. Uh, but it was not certainly about race. Uh, it was not about gender. It was not about uh, sexual orientation, religion. It was actually age. and it was about how age was impacting professionalism, uh, impacting assumptions and pulling that all apart. And that's when I actually was really confirmed that this company that I had already designed for and was waiting for Gen Zers to get older, that it was going to be, it was going to happen because millennials were already pointing that way. And what we saw there is this way in which some of what people have said about Gen Zers is uh, the questioning. um, Why do we have to do it this way? I've got some other ideas and feeling very, some of that same language entitled, I should be able to tell you my idea. I wanted to go this way. Uh, we were already beginning to see that that uh, generation, many, not all in the sort of blanket way, we talk about Gen Z, not as diverse as Gen Z, but many saying, I do want there to be diversity talked about. I do want the social issues to be front and center. And I have some very specific ideas about how you do those things. So I think that for for millennials, they were testing, beginning to test some of those things out and were feeling caught in that I do get it, that I'm supposed to show up in this particular way. I've been trained in this way. But what about these things that feel meaningful? Where do I put them? How do I ask about them? And in that particular case study, we realized it was communication style. We realized that there was some very different understanding about what professionalism and its definition and how it actually showed up, how it looked, um, and uh, a way around challenging uh, that was showing up that was uh, very different than managers had seen seen prior. And think that millennials were really paving the way around some of those ways in which, again, they were showing up in the workplace and their expectations. I think it was also the first generation where we saw that people were saying, I need this workplace uh, to feel like home. I need this workplace to feel good to me. It is not just a job. It's not transactional. And I'm not just here to do what you tell me I'm supposed to do, but I'm supposed to get something out of this. And I think that was certainly very different for many people as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I do think that that has been, you know, both the creature comforts in the office has been part of the millennial journey. And I think it's also part of the Gen Z journey. Mm -hmm. But there's also in which millennials especially started working, doing their schoolwork, for example, in very different ways Mm -hmm. in all sorts of different places and all sorts of configurations. I mean, suddenly they have laptops everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the idea that I'm tied to a desk and a particular chair just didn't fit for them. And I know there was a lot of give and take or tussle, we should
2: say, on how they work, where they work, when they work. Right. But for the most part, we saw millennials were beginning to chafe against that, but there were no, they weren't actually getting what they wanted. Managers were holding tight to, I have no idea what you're talking about. We've always done it this way. So again, if you worked at a place like uh, some of our tech companies, which said, you you know, you can work other places, they didn't use necessarily language like remote uh, it was still you were you might be traveling or you can be able to to be in uh, a sometimes to do some of your work, send it in. If you're a coder, for example, you may have had more flexibility. But overwhelmingly, the line was still being held on. We're in we're in place in space and many companies we saw uh, actually building out more space, but also we saw things like this is where we got the invention of WeWork and these right. co-working spaces and, uh, you know, everything from Regis using their their offices or, you know, I think about all the different spaces I use all over the country that was beginning to become a thing. Uh, now. But, but but pretty much, though, so. companies were still holding the line. I have an expectation you're going to be here in place and space. I think about my own experience. Again, I'm not a millennial or a general Zer, but I think about when I had become a new mom and I was trying to figure out I'm still moving up and, and got high-level positions and thinking about when I moved to California. And ultimately, part of how I started my company is that You know, it was if you're going to be CEO, if you're going to be vice president here, you need to be here 12 hours a day every single day. And I literally just wanted one day I could come in a little bit later because my daughter was only two years old and being told, I have no idea what it is you're asking for. That's not going to happen. And so me realizing I was going to have to create something very differently. So I think we were beginning to see it, the chafing of it, but we weren't seeing people full scale doing it yet.
1: Are you seeing any resentment now from millennials that Gen Zers are getting more opportunities in ways that millennials didn't get?
2: I've heard it. I certainly have. And as I mentioned earlier, I've had the experience of having to Help some of these managers to rethink that. Uh, and so I've heard it from Gen Xers as well as I've heard it from millennials. And again, why should you get to, I didn't get to do this or we didn't have those opportunities and we figured it out? We particularly see it coming up around everything from, uh, from, you know, are you getting more time off, more vacation? We do see it with those who have children and we see it that young families now there's a whole I can stay home, I can have balance. And those who never had that feeling like, wow, that must be, such a luxury such a gift i commuted 45 minutes each way and i'm racing to get to childcare before it closes at 6 and i'm charged a fee so we're seeing that there's some resentment there but in ways that i think that it sort of has uh, it's muted that conversation because everyone uh, with covid got to work from home uh, and many have not returned to the office. It has muted some of that conversation or some of that resentment. But again, we still see it playing out for some managers where they're biased and, and we've had to help them think about not wanting to let that bias impact their ability to, uh, to assess accurately their, the folks that work with them. Yeah, fair enough.
1: All right. I have two follow-on questions I want to do. You know, one of the things that a lot of my clients have talked about is that they operate by the apprenticeship model. And you mm-hmm. mentioned this earlier. Mm-hmm. Younger generations come in, they sit next to somebody who's seasoned, understands it, and they learn by watching. Learn by listening in on the phone calls, learn by asking a question, sitting next to somebody. And we see that as all sorts of professional roles. Um how is that working with the younger generation, with Gen Zs and with millennials, particularly now that we've got so much remote going on? What are you seeing as really effective in these kind of environments?
2: So I first want to note my my true concern for Gen Zers in particular in, in this. And I've named it in conversations, in my work, uh, in our proposals, in our client engagements. Uh, I am worried that people are thinking that something that uh, that is amazing is in the long run might turn out to be that it was not so amazing. I am not here to advocate and say everyone must go back to the office. I'm, I'm not here uh, to debate those in terms of what people decide to do there. And I know there are real good reasons around the balance, but I am concerned for Gen Zers that they're missing out on these critical opportunities to just be, learn, take it in, You learn so much just stopping in the kitchen to grab coffee or tea. You learn so much by walking with someone to grab some lunch or that you all stay a few minutes after the meeting in a conference room. It doesn't happen in Zoom. You can't read the room the same way. You can't grab someone during the the mid-break of the meeting when everyone's gone off their Zooms to go get a snack. If you were in the office or in the conference room, you would have been able to grab coffee and ask a question or two. So I'm particularly concerned for them that it will have implications. I'm particularly concerned it will ultimately have implications around Uh, Performance review, that it may have implications around career trajectory and promotions. And I'm particularly concerned for uh, women and people of color uh, that if their managers are not laser focused on those performance review, those opportunities, those professional development opportunities, that coaching, that they may inadvertently uh, leave particularly those who've been left out uh, in historically marginalized. Historically, may look up and be further uh, marginalized. So we again by advancing these conversations around what's the benefits, not just the job itself, the scope of work, but what are these benefits like? Coaching, like professional development, these learning opportunities. Uh, what's performance review look like? I'm worried that we're going to look around in you know five seven years and we're going to have a group of people who feel like. Whoa, I thought I had a, this was a gift and a magic bullet, and this is really not turned out to be great for me. Well, there's
1: a bonding that also has to happen with the company that you're working with. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the data is saying we do pretty well with the immediate team. We kind of feel reasonably connected in our Mm -hmm. mostly remote worlds. But there isn't a bonding with a larger organization because you never actually really get to know that larger organization. Mm -hmm. You don't see them in the cafeteria or at the coffee Mm -hmm. shop or at the wherever coming in and out of the building. Um, So I worry that that connection is lost for people who are not or never have been in the office.
2: We've got, I just want to just say this to you. We've got some teams that are saying, you know what, we're going to be remote. But what they're doing is they're adding in these two or three day uh, opportunities where they're mandatory. We're all coming together. They do them regionally. We're all coming together, being in community together, and that's helping a great deal. So I'm really glad the teams that are taking that on.
1: I'm seeing several clients talking about that
2: and whether that's going
1: to work. I guess it also depends on the size of the company. How yeah, for sure. For on. sure. All right, let's flip the tables. Um, And now I want to give some advice to Gen Z employees Mm -hmm. who are thinking about their careers, trying to get support from their managers and trying to get the learning that they
2: need to really advance their careers. What's your advice to them? So I would say, again, those assets that they have, bringing them fully to the workplace, those assets that they're willing to be collaborative those assets around that they understand and appreciate diversity and the social justice issues and the assets around that they are used to uh, having to ask questions and and are wanting to ask questions and by virtue of that they're open to learning those i say Keep doing that and asking for all ways in which those opportunities uh, that can be presented that allow you to do that. Specifically asking for coaching as part of your interview process, specifically asking what the professional development budget opportunities, how frequently they're available, asking those things in their interview. But also I'm encouraging them to take stock of themselves. Again, not just only what they do well, but knowing what they'd like to improve uh, one of the other things that we spend time saying, this is old school, but it still works, is making connections. Again, even though we live in a, a virtual world, in some ways, that's even better. You don't have to ask someone to take an hour out of their day for coffee. would be nice if you could do it sometimes. But you can actually ask for, may I connect with you over Zoom for about 20 minutes and just ask you two questions about your career, your trajectory, that those things, it has not gone out of st- style. It is even more critically important. And being really clear, again, about their own skills that they would like to improve upon and letting their manager know that and not being afraid to say, we've had, for example, I've most recently had someone say to me, I really feel good around the content, but I'm not always clear about or sure about how to articulate the content or how to write about it. And so by asking for some opportunities on those skill sets, it, it's been great for them.
1: Okay. So being focused on the assets you bring, always, we would say mm-hmm. that. hmm checking in about what's available to you at the company and asking about it because I will also say if you ask you're much more likely to get something produced mm-hmm. for you and then being honest about the skills that you're looking to develop with your manager and asking mm-hmm. for ways to do that that are not costly and then keeping those connections alive just asking mm-hmm. people about their careers how do they get here what do they do what are the key skills i think those are also really really helpful fantastic okay i'm going to give you 3 minutes to answer this one tammy mm-hmm. What takes
2: you out of your comfort zone and what's your secret to success? So what takes me out of my comfort zone is what I've just been talking about here and advocating is being open to learning. I'm sure it's you know it, you do it, uh, really trying to do new and different things, whether it's in our the company itself, whether it's in some of the projects we take on, uh, that it really forces that I can't do the work the same way I've always done it uh, just because it's been successful and have to continue to add and to be relevant, but also because we just really want a learning edge. And so that's been so much fun for us uh, in, in my company and sometimes exhausting, but a lot of fun trying to push out of that comfort zone. Uh, so I advocate that for everyone. And, and again, some of that is kinds of projects. Some of that might be uh, the way in which you are trying to take on a new skill uh, trying to actually be in learning um, it, it, that part can be really hard when you're trying to run companies, but I do, I'm in all kinds of learning cohorts myself. So that's been incredibly important. Um, so,
1: I'd th- so go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say when, you know, you're facing that I've got to do it in a different way and I'm nervous about it. I don't really like, I'm not sure if I can do it very well. How do you push yourself to take that next step
2: and go ahead with it? So, Part of this is I think everybody's going to have their own lived experience. My lived experience is in so many ways, I feel like I don't have a choice. I am of that you and I are of that very small percentage of women who are running successful businesses the numbers are still very small though particularly for african american women are the largest uh, segment of new businesses coming online uh, but we know that many businesses don't uh, make it past 5 years and so the fact that i've been in business 19 years i'm, I'm incredibly thankful for and proud of but thankful i know it's not a given And so every time I've had to go and reinvent, take on something different, and again, keep that learning edge there. So I don't have any choice if I want to remain a woman who is successful in business, and specifically as a a woman of color. Uh, That's just, I just accept that is that I've got to keep pushing this. And I did this without a lot of uh, examples. And so I just have to keep asking a lot of questions and putting myself out there in ways that... Um, may not be the case for everyone. But again, I think everyone's lived experience is going to point them in some way to how they've got to go out of their comfort zone. I think the
1: whole point of what you're saying is everybody has to go out of their comfort zone if they're going to stay relevant. And yes, it's scary. And everybody's own experience will tell you what about that is scary or not so scary. But the point is to push beyond it because that's what we need to be doing. All right. Tammy, what a great show. My guest today, Tammy Dolly Blackman. You can find out more from Tammy at TammydB.com. Did I get that correct, Tammy, okay, just for the record? You. All right, fantastic. Um, I think what is so interesting about this is recognizing that the different experiences of each generation, or perhaps each individual in each generation, because there's not monoliths either. Mm-hmm are so unique and that what people are doing is bringing their experiences to work. While that may not be your experiences or my experiences, they're bringing their experiences. And as managers, I think we have an obligation to lean into what those experiences are and then to help develop from there as opposed to resent it or fight against it or say should or shouldn't Mm -hmm. and so on. And plenty of tools available. Think about doing coaching earlier. Think about bite-sized learning think about cohort learning think about making sure as a manager you're really rock solid on the performance reviews the feedback the career progress the plans and if you're a younger person don't be afraid to reach out and ask questions about all of those so tammy thank you for a great show today oh I want to thank you it's a pleasure likewise join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone